May the words I say and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So what do we think is going on in the story? How would you describe the story, I wonder? We often talk about, in fact, last night uh, we had a dinner for the families here and Bonnie um, just had some videos off YouTube playing through the data projector. And the common theme in a lot of those was Jesus, the king, a humble king, because he was on a donkey's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, bringing peace. And we often say, and indeed a lot of the videos last night talked about how the crowds who were welcoming him and Jesus into Jerusalem would be the same crowds that would turn on him on Friday. That's how we often understand the story, and that's how we read it when we read the various Gospels. But is it what Luke was trying to say? And I would suggest that maybe his story is slightly different. In fact, to understand Luke's story, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 19, where Jesus is in Jericho talking to Zacchaeus. And... At the end of the story about Zacchaeus, Luke says, As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because they were near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. The people listening had expectations about Jesus and what his entry into Jerusalem would bring. And he wanted to pop that balloon. And so to pop that balloon, he told the story of a nobleman who wanted to be a king. And so he went off to a faraway land to be made king. Now, there were some people in that land who didn't want him to be king, so they followed him to persuade the kingmaker, and everyone knows that the real kingmaker was the emperor, not to make him king. Now, this story sounds like, and many of those who were listening to Jesus would have remembered, Herod the Great Sons, especially Achilles. He wanted to be king, and so he went off to Rome and was made king based in Jerusalem. And when he returned, he ruled Jerusalem. And you can bet that when he returned, there was a triumphant entrance as he came back into Jerusalem, now their king. The trouble with Achilles and why we now have Pilate was because Achilles was a brute. He ruled with great cruelty until even Rome had had enough and they deposed him and sent him off into exile. His kingship was based on brutal power. So, in Jesus' story, the the nobleman now returns as king. And it's not stated in the story, but everyone would assume that as he returned, there would have been a triumphant entrance into the city. Before he had gone, the nobleman, now king, had left ten pounds with ten slaves. And so, after his triumphant entrance, he summons them and asks how they'd got on. And we know the story. The first one came and said, I invested your money and I have ten more pounds. And the nobleman said, Well done, good and faithful slave. Because you have been trustworthy in these things, I will put you in charge of these cities. And the next slave came and said, I've invested your money and I've made five pounds. 
And the king says, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful with these things, I will put you in charge of these cities. And then the last slave comes and says, well, I hid it, because I know that you're a harsh man, and that you take where you do not deposit, and, we, and you reap where you do not sow. Well, the master gets all hoo-ha about that, and says, well, he should have at least put the money in the bank. And then he takes the pound from him and he says, give it to the one who made ten pounds. And people protest and say, well, he already has ten pounds. He doesn't need any more. And he says, no, no. Those who have, to those who have, more will be given. And those who have nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. It's a story we often don't like because, well, for some reason, we keep thinking that maybe the nobleman is God. But actually, the nobleman, in this case, was how things operate. This is not a story about God, but this is a story about how things are or were. This is the way of the people who have triumphant entrances. They behave in this way. But this way is not the way of God. So how do we know that story is linked with the entrance into Jerusalem? Because as soon as Luke tells that story, he says, and we heard it at the beginning of this morning, and having said this, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now, the trouble is, we keep reading these stories in discrete little passages. One week we read about the nobleman, and several months later we read about the entrance into Jerusalem. And we don't put the two stories together. But Luke, the two stories belong together. You can't read one without the other. So, Jesus is busy popping balloons of expectation. Why? Because he is not going to have a triumphant entrance like all those who have gone before him. Like this nobleman. Like Achilles. Like the Romans. Like Pilate. Every time he returns to Jerusalem... And he will be returning, because this is when the Romans need to be on their guard this particular season. Like the high priests, who also have little mini triumphant entrances. He is the antithesis of everything that they do. And so, the anti-king, if you like. When he gets to Bethphage in Bethany, no one's really sure where Bethphage is, but we know where Bethany is, that pops up quite a lot. And it seems to be a place which is very Jesus-friendly. These are his people. He sends two disciples to pick up a, or borrow a colt. Maybe he had prearranged to use it, or maybe it was some kind of miraculous thing. One commentator said the language sounded like they were supposed to sneak in there and steal it, but they kind of got caught, but the owner let them have it anyway. The word for Lord and owner is the same in Greek. So when you say the Lord needs it, it kind of sounds like, well, the owner has need of it. Well, I'm the owner. Well, okay, Jesus has to use it. Is that okay? Anyway, who knows how that was supposed to work. When they get the colt back, the disciples get all keen and they throw cloaks on it. And then they put Jesus on the colt and then they put their cloaks on the road ahead. There were no palms in that story. Did you notice that? Not a single mention of palms. And in fact, if you read Matthew and Mark, there's no palms there either. John's the only one that talks about palms. 
So if we were to kind of go with all the, all the gospel writers, maybe the Sunday should really be Cloak Sunday. Well, it doesn't quite have the same ring, really, and having cloaks draped around the church would just look messy, so I think we should stick to the palms. So they head off down the path, down the path over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Jesus' disciples and followers, his people, they're not in Jerusalem. There's not a big crowd that have gathered there for the Passover. These are his people from Bethany. His people that have followed him down from Galilee. And they are the ones that are proclaiming. They are the ones that are repeating the chorus that the angels proclaimed at his birth. A deliberate reminder of his birth. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, if you look at the Bible that I read from, they will have the title across the top of that story of Jesus' triumphal entrance. But actually, he's still on his way. He hasn't made it to Jerusalem yet. He's still up the hill. The very next story, in fact, is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem, and if you go to the Basilica, which is a kind of it's an onion basilica. It's miles up the Mount of Olives. It takes, I don't know how long it took me to get there, but I would hardly say that I was in Jerusalem when I got there. It was a long way up. It was at least a half hour climb up the hill to get there, maybe longer. Jesus was a long way out of Jerusalem. He had some way to go. But even this far out, there are grumpy Pharisees. And they're not happy with all this commotion and they'd like it to stop. And so they asked Jesus to tell his disciples to stop. But Jesus says that even if they did stop, the stones themselves would shout out. The stones themselves. What are the stones that are being talked about here? Well, at face value, the Mount of Olives is a pretty stony place, especially now. It's just a massive graveyard between that church and Jerusalem. So, stones galore. But there are some commentators that wonder about these stones. Between the events that Luke is talking about and when Luke is writing, is the catastrophic events of 68 to 70 CE. The uprising of the Jewish nation against Rome, which initially went quite well. The exact revolt against Roman rule that some had hoped and some had feared Jesus would spark. When a new king would rise up and overthrow the Romans, who would overthrow Herod, would overthrow the high priests, and bring in the reign of God and establish the kingdom of God, the start of the story, the story of the nobleman, is all about those expectations. That Jesus is the one who will start the revolt. He will have a triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. The people will rise up. Rome will be defeated. The kingdom of God will be restored. And when the revolt comes, it ends with the destruction of Jerusalem. 
and the temple is left as a pile of stones tossed on and around Temple Mount. An event which led to millions of Jews either being executed, killed or carted off into slavery. A catastrophic event for both Judaism and the early church. And some commentators wonder if these are the stones that Luke is really talking about. The stones still marked with the fire and the blood of that destruction. Crying out against, crying out against all those who walked in the ways of the nobleman in the opening story. The ways of Rome. The ways, the ways of Herod and the high priests. The ways of all those who have triumphant entrances. Ways of violence and of impoverishment that treat others as less than. This is the end point, Luke is saying, if we fail to heed Jesus' way. We began the story with the triumphant parade of the returned king, Achilles, a brutal Roman puppet who brought death and poverty. And the story ends with Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping, seeing ahead to the charred stones of the temple crying out. There is no peace in the ways of empire. No peace in the ways of ruling families. No peace in the ways of the wealthy Judean elite who add to the poverty of the rural folk. There is no peace in Rome and their puppets. No peace in their ways. All those who speak, all those who seek to use their ways... And all those who seek to use their ways and impose their own version of peace, all those will always end in death and destruction. And those who hope in their ways will not find peace. As Jesus rides down the Mount of Olives, where tradition taught that God's final intervention would occur, on this Passover... Passover, the festival that commemorates and celebrates God's actions, liberating the slaves oppressed in Egypt, rescued them, made them God's people, gave them life and peace. This festival trembling with anti-Roman sentiment every year, a festival that provided and would provide the flashpoint that the Romans and the Herodians and the high priests and all the wealthy Judean elite feared every year. Was this the year that the war for peace would begin? In the face of that, we are reminded by the disciples' cry that Jesus' way is the only way to peace. Jesus' procession down the Mount of Olives was not a triumphal entrance. The statement that peace, it is a statement that peace is not found in triumphal entries, the triumphal entries of Archelaus and Pilate and Herod and the high priests. The way of peace was laid out in Nazareth and we repeated it again this morning in the beginning of our service. The way of peace and found is found when good news is proclaimed to the poor and liberty is proclaimed to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty for those who are oppressed, the year of the Lord's favour. 
the year when all land is returned to their first owners and all debts are forgiven. This is Jesus' way. And this for Luke is the way of peace. So as we join in this year's Palm Sunday, I wonder where the way of peace is being proclaimed in the world. Where are the stones that are crying out for those who have no peace? Where are the followers of Christ misled, believing that the ways of triumphant entrances will bring peace? And how might we join with those disciples on the Mount of Olives, proclaiming, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. As we enter the final week, in what ways do we hope and trust in the ways of the noblemen, the Romans, the world? What ways are we being invited to let go of? What attitudes, what ways of seeing the world? That we might join in the much harder way, the way of God's love and peace.